Hello and welcome to the EMJ podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Sakia. And today I'm going to generate some discussion about regenerative medicine, which popped back into my life for the fourth time. So my guest today is me. The word regenerative saw its first recorded use around 1350 as a Middle English word from medieval Latin, which I'm going to attempt to pronounce regeneratavus. And it means to beget or to produce. If you recall, there was a lot of begetting in the Bible. The derivatives of the word generally refer to procreation on the personal, familial, and tribal groups, and in later centuries came to be referred to natural forces, substances, animals, and eventually us. The word means being able to regenerate, to regrow, to renew or restore, such as after being damaged or lost. Think about forests regenerating after a fire. We think of lizards losing their tails, how clumsy of them, and promptly growing one back, or our hair, or fingernails. So, if not them, why not other things? The Latin word generator arose in the 17th century and means a person who causes something to happen. The first reference to a machine to produce electricity was in 1879. And of course, electricity has played a role in literature and eventually medicine as people attempted to regenerate life. Think Frankenstein and the monster. Generators may be found in cars, aircraft, in power stations, and many other places, and in laboratories around the world trying to generate new therapies, relying on a regenerative approach. So let's dig down and look at some of these. Of course, the one that immediately comes to mind is stem cell therapy. And the word stem cell first appeared in the scientific literature in 1868 in papers by the renowned German biologist Ernst Haeckel. Two Canadians, biophysicist James Till and cellular biologist Ernest McCullough, who in 1961 also played a key role in moving from possibility to probability, and then in 1976, Friedenstein identified stem cells in bone marrow. Of course, today people talk about using bone marrow aspirated concentrate. And in 1981, a British biologist, Sir Martin Evans, managed to culture embryonic mouse stem cells, work for which he would later receive the Nobel Prize. By the way, he also contributed much, much more to science. Quite a mind. My flirtations with this field included working with a wonderful man in Tucson, Arizona, Milos Kvapil, and it was to look at various tissue scaffolds to address healing after bowel surgery. Then I did some work in London at the Royal Postgraduate Medical School a few years after with a charismatic Indian surgeon, Professor Alan Goldstein, and a wonderful team. So if you're out there, Milosh and Alan, thank you for teaching me so much and allowing me to participate. I then collaborated on a project looking at using harvested small intestinal submucosa to address a number of surgical healing challenges. And what each of these forays told me was, This is a massive field that we knew so very little about. My inspiration to take you on this journey is both some work I'm currently involved in looking at novel tissue scaffold and biologic combination, as well as hearing a whole rash of radio advertisements offering people all types of regenerative medical therapies for every ailment under the sun, including rashes, aging, alopecia, 
sore joints, arthritis, rotator cuff and knee problems. So I went back to the books to create a scaffold to understand this space. You see what I did there? And hopefully it'll prove helpful to those of you listening and to my medical colleagues to act as a substrate to best advise your patients. We know that our bodies contain trillions of cells and grouping of cells which perform similar functions are called tissues, epithelial, connective, muscle and nervous. Sometimes there are subdivisions. The muscles found in your arm and leg are striped or striated and those in the wall of the gut is smooth and connective tissues can form tendons or cartilage which again have subtypes and in turn organs such as the brain, kidney or heart are formed of several different tissues and then various organs join up together to become systems such as the musculoskeletal system which consists of muscles, tendons, ligaments, bones, cartilage and so on. When disease or trauma cause damage, we experience symptoms such as discomfort and impaired function. A ripped rotator cuff in the shoulder will prevent one from raising the arm and induce sharp pain. A cirrhotic liver will not metabolize properly and general health will suffer. Some parts of the body, like the liver or a fractured bone, might regenerate or self-repair to some degree. Others, like the nervous system, well, they're not so capable. I think we would agree that the goal of modern medicine is to reduce symptoms, restore function, and for the therapy at hand to do minimal damage. The concept of primum non nocere, a principle laid down by Hippocrates, meaning firstly do no harm. The therapy can't be worse than the disease. Early efforts to add new tissue to another mammal took place in the 1600s when blood transfusions between dogs were attempted. And then the first human transfusion occurred in 1818 by James Blundell. And then in 1954, the first kidney transplant was performed. I'm not going to dwell too much on transplantation. I think that's a totally separate topic. So regenerative medicine is the concept of creating techniques and tools to return damaged tissue to a normal appearance and behavior. And this new approach can be characterized in many different ways, but I like this description by Greenwood and colleagues from 2006. Regenerative medicine is an emerging interdisciplinary field of research and clinical applications focused on the repair, replacement, or regeneration of cells, tissues, or organs to restore impaired function resulting from any cause, including congenital defects, disease, trauma, and aging. It uses a combination of several technological advances that move it beyond traditional transplantation and replacement therapies. These approaches may include, but are not limited to, the use of soluble molecules, gene therapy, stem cell transplantation, tissue engineering, and the reprogramming of cells and tissue types. Sometimes several approaches are chosen together, and I said at the beginning that I'm currently working on a project combining a tissue scaffold and a biologic, but more of each in a minute. Let's describe each type. First up are molecular therapies. These may come from our own bodies, such as fat, whole blood, or parts of our blood, such as platelet-rich plasma, or PRP, or chemicals such as carbohydrates and proteins. Their goal is to accelerate healing. 
For instance, blood or PRP contains numerous substances involved in natural healing, growth factors and the like. So the rationale is that by delivering this to the site of damage, human tissues might be stimulated to repair. So a bit of perspective here. Proteins, the building blocks of human life, are involved in signaling within our body, digesting food and forming structures. We know of probably tens of thousands, and there are likely many, many, many more proteins. I read it best described by science writer Angina Ahuja. She pointed out that the vast majority of scientific papers on the proteome, the proteins in the human body, focus on P53, just one protein, which is it's an important protein. It's involved in regulating cancer, among other things. And she described it as the Kim Kardashian of proteins, famous for being famous, maybe. But how many proteins are there in blood, PRP, our bone marrow, that if we could identify, harness, and deliver them in the right dose and the right sequence could hold the key to regenerative cures? I said earlier in this uh, conversation that this is a massive field. Just think about that thousands and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, maybe more proteins. How do we deliver them? What dose? What sequence? Next up, we have gene therapies. So genes are part of the code that leads to our individual makeup, a a blueprint, if you will. There are some similarities, but also important variations between us. And it's in our genes as well as other factors that are responsible for that. In many diseases, there is an error in a gene that might be corrected by adding that gene to the patient by a variety of techniques. And thus far, although you may have read a huge amount of hype in the media, it has limited uses, although there's a great deal of enthusiasm amongst research scientists to address heart disease, cancer, and diabetes by replacing missing or malfunctioning genes. In fact, in the past few weeks, we've seen a lot of excitement about the role of gene therapy in potentially curing hemophilia. One expert I read said that she was looking forward to searching for a new job once all her patients were cured. I might say, eat your heart out, Rasputin. Then we have cellular therapies. So, as I said, there are many highly specialized cells in the body that cooperate in a highly organized manner. These 37 trillion That's 37 followed by 12 zeros. And to put that into perspective, that's 53 times the global population. And in fact, even more than America's national debt. These cells originate from just two cells, a sperm and an egg. And I find that awe-inspiring. When egg and sperm fuse to start the divisional process that leads to a new human being, early on, cells possess the ability to go in several directions and become different things when they grow up, so-called stem cells that I mentioned earlier. Such cells may be retrieved from several donor sources, such as blood from the umbilical cord and the amnion layer of the placenta. These have already been deployed for a number of conditions. However, adults have their own stem cells. Admittedly, they're less potent and in fewer numbers than the sources I just mentioned, but they can be found in most tissues, most commonly bone marrow, and I mentioned that earlier, or abdominal fat. Use of one's own stem cells is said to be autologous, or is known as an allograft, whereas if the donation comes from a human source, 
that has been matched to be somewhat similar, that's known as a homograft. Stem cells are placed at the relevant anatomical location in the recipient or within or adjacent to a scaffold. The name makes sense, so let's chat about scaffolds because we call this approach tissue engineering. When you put up a building or manufacture a motor car or an airplane, one needs a skeleton or a scaffold to which coverings can be fixed or around which a structure is built. In this regenerative medicine approach, scaffolds that are compatible with the human body are positioned where new tissue is needed. These scaffolds are made of a range of substances, skin or other tissue from donors, processed tendons or parts of the gut from various animals, even crushed and specially treated crustacean shells. Some may include special chemicals or contain or attract stem cells. In other words, as I've suggested, combining approaches. Then, of course, there are other categories like prostheses, which are implanted into the body and may facilitate functional and symptomatic improvement. Think artificial hips, knees and other joints made of titanium alloys, ceramics and ultra-high molecular weight polyethylene. Or what about grafts interposed to bypass diseased blood vessels fashioned from expanded polytetrafluoroethylene? I love saying that word. I just love that word. But it's abbreviated to PTFE. And it's the same stuff, in fact, that Gore-Tex weather-resistant clothing is made of. Think about that. Keeps the cold off, keeps your blood vessels working. Or there are Dacron and metal stents and patches to repair hernias or blood vessels made from a variety of petroleum-based chemicals and other things. As I hinted at the beginning, this is an area that may be the wave of the future. And for some cases, it is certainly the right thing to do. Most surgeons would not dream of repairing a groin hernia without a graft. And treatment of blood vessel diseases has been radically changed by the availability of grafts. But the problem with rapid advances in medicine is that sometimes the data cannot keep up with the excitement and patient demand. So it's critically important that people not be swept up by misplaced enthusiasm. If your vessels, kidneys, bald scalp, dodgy knees or hips and aching back or shoulders concern you, see your doctor, seek a diagnosis, explore the options. And if regenerative medicine is suggested, Check out what has been sanctioned by regulators like the FDA or the European equivalents to make sure that they've been rubber stamped and have gone through the correct level of clinical evaluations. Also check whether it's paid for and check out what the published information states. For one thing, you certainly do not want to have or recommend a treatment that is not the best available. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please like us on social media. I believe that's the thing you have to say these days. We are the EMJ podcast, and please subscribe for future episodes and dig into our archives. There are loads of wonderful podcasts there, most of which have a guest far more interesting than me. And please join us next week for another foray into the amazing world of medicine. Until then, stay safe, stay well. Stay curious. Bye for now.